night before service, Shaylin was baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. It's a good day when folks are still getting saved. It's a good day to be a part of the church. I heard, um, this is not my lesson, but Brother uh, David Bernard, our district superintendent of the United, or district, our general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church, he said, in the hour that we live in, uh, there will be a lot of challenges. He said, but the beautiful thing about challenges is uh, with every opposition, there's always opportunity. Because there's going to come a time when there are people that believe the Bible but don't believe in the Spirit. And that gives us, or the power of the Holy Ghost, and that gives us as apostolic Pentecostals that believe in the Spirit of God and the spiritual gifts, prime real estate. Because if you only believe in the Bible and you have people in the world that don't believe in the Bible, well, when the Holy Ghost starts to move, it's going to tell you something. And then we can take you back to the Word. So it's a good time. To be a part of the church. Amen. Jesus, here in Luke chapter 17, he's speaking uh, to his disciples about the impending destruction that was headed for Jerusalem and ultimately the entire world. And uh, many scholars say that Jesus was actually giving a, a twofold prophecy of both his return to rapture the church, but also the siege of Jerusalem that would happen and the destruction of the temple that would take place in 70 AD just a, a few decades later. But I believe the important principle to observe and to apply to our lives from this passage of scripture is that no matter what the situation, you know, whether it be uh, Jesus' ultimate judgment of the world, be it demonic entities that are trying to come into your life and wreak havoc and cause disruption, uh, whether it is sickness that comes into your family, whether it's unforeseen tragedy, things that arise that are outside of our control. How many of you have been there before? Amen. No matter what the circumstance is, I do believe there is a biblical promise that God will always carve out a path of salvation for the people that trust in him. As long as we keep our focus on him. And as long as that internal compass is pointed in the right direction. It stays fixed on the right thing. And we keep the main thing the main thing. Ultimately the people of God will always be saved. But our eternal salvation. It's good to be saved in this life. I'm thankful when God keeps me from things that could have been tragic. But our eternal salvation, the salvation of our soul, is the single greatest gift that we have ever been given. Uh, my wife, she was speaking to the young people on Monday night, and uh, she made a statement. Your salvation was not something that God created. He created the moon, the stars. He created your life. The Bible says you were formed in your mother's womb. But your salvation, he did not just create and speak into existence. It was something that he gave his life for. He paid a very high price for you to be saved. He didn't have to do what he did. He could have let be gone what, what was going to be and just left it as it was. But God saw fit 
to come down into the world, to be born, of, born into uh, manifest in flesh so that he could give his life for you. He paid a high price for you. Uh, I have been a, a Georgia Bulldog fan my entire life. And don't, I'm not going there. I'm not promoting any sports team. I promise you that. Wouldn't stand in the pulpit and do that. But we finally won a, a they finally, I'm told I'm not part of we, finally won a championship for the first time in 41 years. And, uh, and that team used to be like the most important, one of the most important things in my life. I used to be able to look at all the stats, tell you everything about all the players, the top recruits coming in, all of that stuff. And I genuinely thought that I would have been more excited when they finally won. And don't get me wrong, I, I was happy that they won. But I went to sleep that evening without an issue. I woke up the next morning and the feeling had sort of faded. And the reason for that is because when God saved my life, he brought me out of a very, very low place. Anybody ever put your foot down in the mud and, and you tried to pick it up out of the mud yourself, but all that happened was your foot just came out of the boot and your foot still, your boot still stuck in the mud and finally get the mud, the, the boot out of the mud and there's clunks of the mud on that boot and you have to knock it off and that was a picture of my life. And God spent time working on me. I was a, a lengthy process. He spent some time knocking those pieces off of my life and, and cleaning me up and getting me right and getting me in the place that he wanted me to be. No one or no thing had ever made an impact on my life like Jesus Christ did. I don't know what he brought you out of. I don't know how deep down in the mud you were that he had to pull you up and rescue you out of some mess. But I know where I came from. I know my, I pray we never forget our testimony, never forget where we came from, what he went through to pull you up out of the mess that you were in. Nobody, nothing had ever made that type of impact on my life. So when I repented of my sins and I went down in the water in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And he put his spirit on the inside of me, evidenced by the speaking in another tongue. That experience, something happened that day that just doled out every single other earthly pleasure that I had ever experienced in my life. I was walking through the woods behind my house like I normally do. Most mornings with my dog and I'm just sitting there walking through the woods and just falling under the power of the Holy Ghost, just weeping and crying for everything that God had done. Because I realized that morning when I woke up, he's still the most wonderful thing in my life. It doesn't matter if the Braves win the World Series, the Bulldogs win the title. There is nothing like that joy, that peace, that love that he brings into my life. Sometimes, you know, there's no high. I've gotten high off of a lot of things, but there's no high. There's no feeling. There's no emotion. There's no experience like him. 
You can literally invest everything that you have into him, like Brother Langle was talking about, and you'll never come up empty. Sometimes we, we have to journey back, not in our actions or our conversation, but in our minds, to the memory of who we were and what God delivered us from, lest we easily forget. But even when we have a, a real understanding of what he's done, even when we, we really can comprehend the things that we were pulled out of and, and we think we finally got a grip on it and everything that he's done for us, it's, it still does not negate the reality that there is always this pull of Satan. And there is always this war that's going on in our flesh to sink back down into the very thing that God pulled us out of. It may be a surprise, but the devil understands. He knows very well what you're attracted to. He knows the bait to use to pull you in. That's why Paul, he would write, write, write to the church in Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, not only doing right when you see me, not only being right when you're in the church, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with, with fear and, and trembling. Paul is telling the church that it is so necessary that we hold our salvation in high regard. You have to treasure your salvation. You got to not keep the dust knocked off of it. Don't put it up on the shelf and, and ignore it. We've got to hold that thing in high regard because he understood that no matter how drastic the experience was when God rescued you out of whatever he rescued you out of, there is always going to be this natural, fleshly propensity to fade back into the disorder of your old life. You will never stop fighting you. That's why we really have to work. We, we've got to really be intentional to try to eliminate any of the, the fallback options that we have. We got to make sure that come hell or high water, no matter what the thing is, no matter what's, what's happening around us, I've got to stay connected to him. I've got to keep the main thing. The main. It is necessary to live holy. I know holiness gets a bad rap in our day. But there's nothing more important than living holy. We've got to put some barriers in place. I, I don't want to play too close to the fire. I remember uh, the Sunday that God filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I was telling Shaylin and Alex about it earlier. I'm in the back of the church, earrings in my ear, ears, hoodie pulled up over my head, and something happened. The word was preached, and, and something very powerful came over me. And I began to just hit my knees, and I was crying and repent. There was a pool of tears around me. And all of a sudden, in an instant, something so powerful took place. The baptism of the Holy Ghost happened. He came into my life, into my spirit, took over my tongue, and something very drastic happened in my life. And, and I knew at that moment that there were some things that I was going to have to distance myself from. So I went home and I took 
all the CDs I had with, with bad words, took all of my, my R-rated movies and even some of the clothes that I owned, boxed them all up and I put them up in the attic. Well, the next day I walked into work and I realized what Paul was talking about when he said, work out your own salvation. Because I walked back into the same environment that I was in when I left. And something powerful had happened, but I didn't realize the fact that there was a process that had to take place. And the devil was getting ready to punch me square in my face. And because I wasn't prepared for it, and because I had made it very convenient to go back to the attic and pull my past back down where I lived... I backslid. I spent four months in that condition. It was probably the worst four months of my life, and I'll, I'll finish that later. But Jesus, he's telling the disciples that once you have been saved from whatever is coming, do not turn back. He makes it very clear that it could be that if you turn back in the middle of destruction, destruction's going to catch you. He's given a warning that they could not ignore. He said, do not turn back. He said, remember Lot's wife. Lot was Abraham's nephew. And if you know the story, they were living in the same area. But they outgrew, eventually outgrew the land that they were living in together. So they had to to part ways. The herdsmen started arguing and fighting back and forth. And they had outgrew the land. So... Uh, Abraham told Lot, he said, you choose where you want to go. I'll give you first choice. And wherever you go, if you go to right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. And I'll take my family and my possessions and we'll just go in the opposite direction. Genesis 13, 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Skipping down to verse 11. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. You see, Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw something that was very attractive to his eye. What he saw passed the eye test. It looked like the plan of God. It had to be his will for his life because it was beautiful and, and everything just felt so right. But the problem is that not everything that looks pleasing to our eyes is actually good for us. Just because that guy is handsome or the girl is hot. I got a hot holy girl. Just because the job pays well or the house has a pool, it does not mean that it is God's will for your life. We can get messed up trying to settle for the permissive will of God when God has something that is absolutely perfect for us. The Bible says that Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. It doesn't seem like a very bad thing. You're just living close to it. You're not living in it. You know, not a big deal. You're just 
in the area of it, it doesn't mean that you, you can live in the world and not be up. We should do that. But it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. He just pitched his hint toward Sodom. But Sodom at that time was the most wicked city in the entire world. And the reality is that we, if we play too close to sin, sooner or later we are going to be the victim of compromise. Because in one chapter, Lot is just pitching his tent towards Sodom. But by the very next chapter, he's already a resident of the city. And finally, Sodom got so wicked that God said, I'm, I am going to destroy the city. And Lot lived in the city. But Lot had somebody that was interceding for him. Aren't you glad that when you were living in hell and where you were so down in the mud, somebody took the time to call your name out? Somebody took the time to tell God, listen, don't, don't take him. I, 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 I know he's living in sin and I know he's, he's doing these things, but would you just give him a little more time? And the Bible says that God is long-suffering to us. He doesn't, he's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want one person to go to hell. But that all should come to repentance. In Genesis 18, 23, and Abraham drew near and said, Will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And Abraham begins this negotiating thing with, with God. If you find 50 righteous in the city, would you spare the city for the sake of the 50? God said, yeah. If there are 50 righteous, I'll spare the entire city for the sake of the 50. So Abraham, he's feeling kind of good. He says, okay, I like my chances. What about 45? God said, yeah. I'll do it for 45. And he keeps going and, 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 and he negotiates with God all the way down to 10 souls. If there are 10 righteous souls in the city, would you, would you spare Sodom for, for 10? God said, you bet. One soul matters that much to him. I believe Abraham could have kept going. It's just my personal, personal take on it and Math was never, you know, my strong subject, but I was just thinking, Lot had his wife, the two daughters that we know of, and their husbands, that's six souls right there. So if Lot could have just somehow won his, his family and reached four more souls, he could have saved an entire city. From the judgment of God. I think souls don't matter to him. It's the most. It's the reason he came. The most important business of God is souls. If he's not willing that one should perish. But then we, we see this beautiful picture of the mercy. And the grace of God on display in the Old Testament. Because there were not ten righteous souls in all of the city. So God in his mercy, he didn't have to. They didn't meet the requirements. 
You understand? But God organized a rescue mission to pull Lot and his family out because somebody was interceding for them. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 15. And, and when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife, thy two daughters which are here. He'd already lost his son-in-laws. Lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, are you kidding me? While he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them, unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Skipping down to verse 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. God had already done everything that he said he was going to do. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. He did exactly what he's going God will try to save you. He'll do everything in his power to deliver you. But ultimately, you have a decision that could cost you your life or save your life. The decision is always going to be salvation is something that is provided by God. But it's something that he always gives us the decision. We have to make the decision in our lives. God had saved Lot and his family from his judgment on Sodom. And the only thing that they had to do was run for their life. And not look back. Stake everything on the fact that you have been saved. That you've been delivered. And don't look back. And the Bible does not tell us the reason why. Maybe the longing in her heart to return to what she had was greater than her desire to be saved. But make no mistake about it, her testimony would stand forever. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. And, and they understood all well what was being implied. My friends, we, we have come too far. And God has been too good to us. For us to gamble with our salvation. We have to hold that precious gift. In high regard. I, I can't. Maybe you can. I, I can't afford to dance for him on Sunday morning. And fade back into my real reality on Monday. There has to be some consistency in my life. Or it's never going to work out. What's the point in living halfway? The first time I, I had an experience with God. You know, I was, I was content with boxing up my past and storing it away in the attic. But four months later, God renewed me in the Holy Ghost. And I made up in my mind in that moment that I had to cut the head off of some giants that were living in my life or they would come back. It was at that moment that I was willing. I said, I'll tell anybody that I've wronged. I'll do anything I've got to do. I remember going home and 
running up to the attic and as quick as I could, pulling all of the, the boxes of the trash out of the attic, and I began to just break them one by one. Every CD, every movie, everything that represented my past, I was breaking them and throwing them into the, And something on the inside of me broke. Something on the inside of me caught fire. And from that day forward, it has never been the same for my life. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And this is why, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches, riches than the treasures in Egypt. Why? For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses had too much respect for his salvation to mess around in Egypt. Our lives, if, if you think about it, our lives really are just, just one great audition. We're living right now an audition for the main show. This life is preparation for an eternity that we will spend somewhere, and the eternity decision gets to be made by you. We get to choose heaven or hell. The most important thing in this life, it's not how much money we make. It's not the car that we drive. It's not how many followers we have on social media. The most important decision, the most important question that every one of us have to answer is, do I know him and does he know me? Most of us, we can probably look back and, you know, we can remember the day when God saved us. For some of us, you know, it was a little further back. But it's one of those moments that is really not that easy to forget. You can think back, and if you think hard enough, you can remember where you were, where you were sitting, your posture. Sometimes, you know, I really have to just really sit and just meditate on the goodness of God. And I have to, he's done a lot of good stuff in my life, so I have to sit down for a little while and just take some time and just meditate on his goodness, all that he's done, all that he's brought me out of, everything he's healed me from, what he's delivered me from, because the truth is that the more distance you put between yourself and a dramatic turn of events in your life, whether for the good or, or for the bad, the easier it is to forget what took place. The memory of things starts to fade. And if we ever forget what he did for us, it makes it really easy to turn back to what we were before. Second Peter 2.21 said, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. It happens more often than we'd probably like to admit. Friends, we need to, we've got to treasure our salvation. 
The Bible says that Jesus was hanging from the cross. And the soldiers that had put him on the cross were there at the foot of the cross and they were gambling for his garments. The God of the world was hanging from the cross after having just paid the ultimate sacrifice that would even save the ones that hung him from the cross. And they were playing games below. It seems harsh, but the, the harsh reality of it all is we do that sometimes. We forget the sacrifice that he made, forget what he brought us out of, take it lightly and turn back and playing games with our salvation. But we have to, to remember what he did for us and make up in our minds that you know, we're not turning back. I've come too far to look back to what I had. I didn't have anything before. Everything that I have, everything that I am, it's because he did it for me, because he made it for me. He brought me here. I'm closing, you know, with this, if you could stand with me. Just really felt, you know, to share my heart with you guys tonight. And I was thinking back the other day to when God delivered me from a, a really bad nicotine addiction. Um, when God saves us, Shaylin, there are some things that he delivers us from instantaneously. Some strongholds are broken right away. But some things happen along the way. In the process of becoming more like him. You know, I had to go through a process of, of learning to tame my tongue so that I didn't speak the same way I used to speak. It didn't happen like that. I wish it did. But I had to learn. It took time. And, and I was sure that this battle with this nicotine addiction would be the same. It would take some time. But I was... Sitting down in this area outside of my job in the military, what we call the, the smoke pit. Had my, my cigarette in my hand and the results for Air Force Staff Sergeant were coming out in just a few minutes. And I knew that I hadn't prepared the way that I should have. We were moving and different life changes were happening. But here I am, this new convert just renewed in the Holy Ghost a few days before and I was still learning how to pray but I remember telling God God you know that I haven't studied and prepared for this the way that I was supposed to but if you'll give it to me I'll never touch nicotine again a day in my life and I go upstairs to this meeting that I had to attend and I'm sitting in this meeting and in walks my supervisor. Somebody had just texted me my promotion line number. And he walks into the room and he says, Is Staff Sergeant Jed in the room? And the first emotion I felt was joy. But the second was fear. Because I realized that I had just made a commitment with God. And my dad had already told me, boy, if you ever make a commitment with God, make sure that you honor it because things could turn out worse than they were before. 
Ecclesiastes 5, 4 says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. But you have to understand, it had been the single most difficult thing in my life to break free from. I was able to break free from some of the drugs, the alcohol, the but this, this demon was hard. It had a hold of me. And we all have our, our own little things that we go through. Ours are all different that we face and fight with. But I could not break free from it. I had tried for years, hiding it from my wife. She was in church, Holy Ghost Field. And I'd come in, spray cologne in my mouth, trying to disguise it so she didn't figure me out. But God was getting ready to reaffirm to that day to me just how real he was and just how powerful the experience was that he had given me. Because from that day forward, not only did I get my promotion, but there was a stronghold that I had fought with for years that was just broken off of my life. And I can honestly report to you as I stand here before God today that I've never once had another craving for nicotine. Because I had made up in my mind that there was nothing in my past that was worth going back to get. There is a day approaching I know sometimes we get discouraged does it, because it doesn't happen in the timing we think it should have. And we get ramped up and all these world events happen. And we think, here it goes again. He's come, And then it doesn't happen. But there is a day that is approaching when we're going to see the skies split. We're going to be called out of here. But we have to be diligently watching and waiting for his return. We don't have time to be reaching back into the back pocket of this world and trying to have church on Sunday and the world on Monday. We have to live sold out for him. And, and tonight I felt an urging in my spirit to tell you, I know it was from the Holy Ghost, to remember Lot's wife. The drug of our day is compromise. Complacency. And this evening, I, I really, I want to open the altars. I know it's, it's Wednesday night. And if you have to go, you can. But I, I wonder if tonight, if there's someone here that wants to make a fresh commitment. You don't have to be honest with anybody here and tell anybody what you were doing, what you have been doing. But you can make up in your mind right now that I'm not going to keep going back and forth. I am sick and tired of struggling, of fighting with this thing in my life. And tonight, I'm going to cut the head off of this thing. I'm not going back anymore. I promise you, when you step, he's going to step with you. It doesn't matter what happened last year. How many times we fall into January 12th. It can start tonight. You can make the decision tonight. I'm not playing church anymore. Hell is too hot and we're too close. I want to be serious. Amen. Let's move forward. The altars are open tonight if that's you. Come on, I'll meet you here.